Well, it finally happened the other day. I was in a store, and I was wearing my mask like I'm supposed to, and I looked across the aisle, and I saw a familiar set of eyes, and I looked closer, and I, I finally said, Gary? And my friend Gary said, hey, Brett, I recognized my friend just by his eyes alone. I walked a few aisles down. I was in the produce section, and I look across, and there's someone else wearing a mask, and, and I recognized it was a friend of mine. I, I recognized her by her eyes also. I'm getting good at this. I'm much better than the first week of quarantine when we started wearing our masks, and I saw someone walking on the street towards me wearing their mask, and I looked at them, and I didn't know who they were, and I was, I was a little intimidated with this person coming at me with wearing a mask, and and then I realized it was my daughter, Gracie, the whole time. Oh, sometimes we recognize people, even when we can't see the whole person. And then sometimes there's so much that we don't see. There's so much more to their story. Uh, sometimes there's something below the surface that, that we're not able to see. We're not permitted to see. And so we have to be careful that we're not making snap judgments on people without knowing the, the whole story. Now, that's a skill that I know I've struggled my whole life to, to learn, and, and it's a skill that I think is vital for what I do, but it's a skill that's vital for, for any relationships. We have to understand that there's more to the person than what we see. There's more to their story than what we hear. Psychologists speak of secondary emotions, that is the emotions that are behind the mask and, and not the emotions that we see on the surface, uh, below the mask, but beyond uh, what we can see. Instead, what we see is sometimes anger, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's an arrogance, sometimes it's happiness even, sometimes it's surprise, but what's below that? What is below the surface, behind the mask, Sometimes it's a wound, sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's a, a broken trust, sometimes it's a lack of hope. Today we're going to look at a lady in Luke chapter 7, a woman that Jesus encounters, and, and on the surface we, we think we see her, and what we see is bad. This woman is hurting, she is grieving, she is lost, but what's under the surface? It's even worse. We're going to have to be willing to, to look deeper, to truly see her. And as we see her, we might even see something of ourselves. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today, verses 11 through 17. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Luke writes, Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples... And a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. 
We meet this woman on the worst day of her life, don't we? Some of you get that. But we still need to look deeper. Because you see, death is not the problem. Despair is. We're almost a third of the way through the Gospel of Luke. And, and as we've experienced Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, we've, we've come to expect miracles. We've come to expect healings. We, we've come to expect Jesus to amaze us. And so we know from the very beginning of this story that Jesus is going to bring this woman's son back to life. Death is not a problem. Prepare to be amazed. But Luke calls us to look deeper. He calls us to look closer. Not at the dead son, but at the mother. And in fact, everything that Luke says as he tells us this story draws our attention to that woman, draws our attention to her pain. Again, verse 12, as he, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Oh, we feel the pain of that. The only son of his mother. Oh, that's so much worse. And she was a widow. That's devastating. Luke takes us down, down, down into this woman's despair. She has lost her son, her only son. Worse than that, she is a widow. And in that world, her son, her only son, would have been her only means of support. Now that he's gone, how is she going to care for herself? There were really only two answers. One, she would become a beggar. Two, she could become a prostitute. In that world, that was the only way a woman like her could take care of herself. Either way, her life is over. It's not just that her son is dead. Her hope has died with him. And that's why I say death is not the problem. Despair is. Our news has been centered on the COVID-19 pandemic for weeks now, to the exclusion, it seems, of, of other news. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget what was so predominant in our minds for so long. And it's easy to forget that right before this pandemic, right before this crisis, Tennessee was hit by some devastating tornadoes. And there's so many stories from that devastation, stories of loss, and, and stories of people whose lives were, were just ripped apart. Matt Collins is one of those stories. Matt is the youth minister at the Jefferson Avenue Church of Christ, and he and his, he and his wife Macy lost their home, and sadly they lost their daughter Hattie in that tornado. Death, devastation, and despair more than most of us could ever begin to understand. What does a person do with that kind of despair? Where do you go with that? Most of us would have to admit that what Matt and Macy have been through is beyond any of our experience, and yet we've had times when we have felt consumed by what is in front of us. We have felt consumed uh, by our hurts. We've allowed those hurts to build up way too long. They have overwhelmed us, and, and suddenly, Everything feels hopeless. We feel hopeless. The woman in the story is walking out of town to bury her son. She felt 
hopeless. She knew crushing despair. But then she encounters Jesus at the gates of her city. And Jesus meets despair with his compassion. Luke does everything he can to put our attention on the mother rather than on the son. Listen to what he writes in verses, uh, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, he says, A considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Do you hear the cadence in those words? Her, 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 over and over again. The focus is completely on this woman whose life without Jesus is now over. She's hopeless. She's left in despair. There is no way out. Verse 13 says, He had compassion on her. Compassion, it's an interesting word in the Bible. It, it only occurs in the New Testament. It only occurs in the Gospels. It only occurs in the Gospels, and it's only used of Jesus to describe Jesus, or it's used by Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, where we are right now, it's only used three times. Here, and then later in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan comes across the man who has been beaten and left for dead, and Jesus says he had compassion on him. And he bound up his wounds. He, 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 he took care of him. Jesus uses it again in, in, in Luke chapter 15. It's there in chapter 15 where he tells the story of the prodigal son. And we read of this son who has abandoned his family, who has left everything and has become destitute, whose life has been upended, who has become next to nothing. And yet he makes his way back home. And as he's walking home, Jesus tells us that while he was still a long way off, his father, his father saw him and having compassion on him, he ran to him, he embraced him, he hugged him. Compassion is not just a feeling. I mean, that's where it begins. It begins as a feeling. But what's next? Where does compassion take us? For the Samaritan, it, it, it took him to a place to help. For the prodigal, for the father of the prodigal son, he, he runs to him, he hugs him, he holds his son. You see, compassion always calls for action. Compassion always calls for action. It calls us to do something to help. Not just feeling sympathy for someone, not just feeling sorry for their situation or sorry for their loss. Compassion reaches out. Compassion touches that person. In verse 13, Jesus speaks to the woman whose son has died. How many times have we been in that situation at a funeral, at a visitation, where we, we have to say something? There's mourning, there is loss, and, and we feel the need to say something. We've got so many cliches that we fall back on. We say things like, well, he's in a better place now. Or we say things like, heaven has gained another angel. And, and I know we mean well when we say things like that, but, but those words don't help. Those words don't relieve any of the, of the, of the pain. Jesus, Jesus says something that we couldn't begin to say, though. Jesus commands her. He says, do not weep. I hear that. 
I hear that command from Jesus, and I hear echoes of a promise from centuries earlier. Back in the Old Testament, back in, in the book of the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, verse 13, God promises there, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Jesus himself becomes the fulfillment of that promise. And he continues to be to this day. Whatever it is in your life that has, that has you in despair, whatever it is that has you feeling hopeless, the compassion of Jesus can bring joy. And the beautiful thing for you and me is that we get to be part of that. We get to be part of that joy because the way you care for others tells them that God cares. Jesus impresses the entire community by raising this young man from the dead. But I think there's something here that must have impressed Jesus. And I think that's the community itself. Notice again what Luke writes in verse, in verse 12. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. This community is with her in her grief. They are going with her. They are mourning with her. They are going with her to bury her son. And then as, as Jesus raises the dead man to life, how does that community respond? Verse 14 says, he came up and touched the bier and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. It's the crowd. It's the community that recognizes the very presence of God. And you hear that response. God has visited his people. The reality is undeniable to anyone who was there that day. The man they were on their way to bury is now sitting up. He's now speaking. He is alive. Despair has been replaced with life. Hopelessness has been replaced with hope. And the only conclusion that anyone can come up with is God is here. God is present. More than that, he cares. He is compassionate toward the hopeless. He shows up and he brings hope. That's exactly what happens when God's people are moved to compassion. They reach out. They help. Like the Good Samaritan, we were there to help bind up the wounds and bring healing. Like the prodigal's father, we're there to run to the lost. We're there to run to the lonely and throw our arms around them and, and welcome them. When people like you and me when, when we see those hurting and hopeless, those who are weighed down with grief and sadness, and we reach out and we care for them, the way you care tells them that God cares. Matt and Macy Collins would tell you that. You know, writing just days after the death of their daughter, Hattie, Matt wrote this. Every interaction we had that night was with God's people. The church saved our life. We are living in the tension of devastation and love. 
Words do not do justice for how we feel for Hattie. The pain is unbearable at times and present all the times. We have also been overwhelmed with love and support from all over. Some of you know something of that tension because you've, you've been there. In times of terrible loss, you have known that God has visited His people because He visited you in the way that a friend helped you, in the way that a friend held you through that time. That's the gift of compassion, and it restores hope. Isn't it interesting? After Jesus says to the mother, do not weep, the very next thing that Jesus does is he speaks to the dead man himself. He speaks to, to the dead man. Verse 14, Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. It amazes me. It amazes me that Jesus has the power to speak to that which is dead and bring it back to life. What would Jesus speak to in your life? What's dead in your life that Jesus wants to speak to? What would he say? Would he say to your hope that at times feels cold and dead, completely hopeless? Would he say to your hope, hope? I say to you, arise. And just as importantly, just as importantly, is there someone in your life? Is there someone for whom you can bring their hope back to life? That through your care, through your compassion, you can speak to their hopelessness. And you can show them that God is alive and that He has visited them. He has visited His people. If there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's His compassion and it's His love. If there's one thing we want other people to know about Jesus, it's His compassion. It's His love. The very best way to do that is for us to show them compassion, to show them His love, to see to see past the mask that they might be wearing and to restore their hope and to let them know that God has visited his people. And he still does. There's a reason we call it communion. And the reason we call it communion is because it's something that we have in common. It's something that we do together. It is a reminder that we, in faith, we have a common family. It is a reminder that there is a common sacrifice for our salvation, a common salvation that we all share. It's a reminder that there is one body broken, that there is one blood that has been shed for us. And it's a reminder that we have, that as we respond to that sacrifice, we have a responsibility to care for one another, that the compassion of Jesus is now our compassion, and that we have a responsibility to show one another through the compassion, through the care, through the concern, through the love that we have, to show them that God is alive, that hope is alive, and that God has visited His people. Let me pray as we prepare to take communion together.
Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for my friends. I don't know all their situations. I've, I haven't seen underneath all of their masks. But I know an awful lot of us are dealing with, with a lot of despair right now. Lord, there's storms in our lives that, that have been seen, and there are storms that can't be seen. There are times when we find ourselves sinking into despair and hopelessness. And the words of Jesus come back. <laughs> arise. Hope, arise. So, Lord, as we take today, we're reminded of the body that's been broken for us. We're reminded of the blood that's been shed. And we're reminded that hope is alive because Jesus is alive. I pray for my friends taking together today that they know that. But I also pray for their friends, their friends who may be consumed by that despair and that hopelessness right now through the way that my friends today show compassion on those. Will you show them that you're alive? Will you let their love be your love? Let their compassion be your compassion to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Go in peace.